Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey Blackburn, your host. I'm your co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Hey, just want to remind you before we get started today, I would love to talk about this survey that we've been doing, uh, that we have at least put out there for you guys. We would love to hear from you, and we would love to give you an opportunity to have some input into the podcast process. Yeah, uh, We're going to be doing some strategic planning here in about a month and thinking about 2021 and beyond and mm-hmm. how we can serve you better. And so what better way to think about how we can serve you better than to hear from you and what yeah, you need, right. the topics you'd like to hear about the people that you'd like to hear from, some maybe creative ideas. I, there's probably some creative podcast strategizers out there. You're listening to podcasts. You're like, I'm Man, sure that's true. This yep. would be really cool if the Nothing Is Wasted podcast did something like this. We would love to hear that from you. And so if you could take this survey for us, that'd be wonderful. In order to get access to the survey, just text NIW survey, NIW survey, all one word, to the number 66866. Or you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash podcast survey. And as kind of a thank you, we're going to give away 10 $10 Amazon gift cards. We'll pull them at random for all the, from all the people who have filled out the survey. But again, text NIW survey to 66866 and you'll be on the path to filling out that survey. We would love to hear from you. We're continuing our Surviving Abuse series today. This is another powerful interview. I love these women that are just coming forward with such courage and such vulnerability. Their stories have been absolutely incredible. We would also um, just want to invite you to stick around. At the end, we have our coach spot with Jill Monaco. And I don't know if you remember, but (laughs) Jill was episode 126. Yes. She shares her story of abuse. She shares um, some of the ways that the Holy Spirit moved in her life to bring her healing. And so she has a lot of wisdom to offer here. Well, I was chuckling because we we hadn't shared yet. We've had her for a couple of spots. We hadn't shared oh, yet right. what episode she was, you know, featured in episode one twenty six. But to to uh, to that end, if you ever you know want to go and search our episodes, you can go to nothingiswasted dot com slash podcast, and there's a search field. And if in the future you're going to be looking for this episode to reference it again, Teresa Glance. Wow, this is a great great interview. Yeah, it's an incredible So excited about you hearing from Teresa. One of the reasons I'm excited about you hearing from Teresa is because Teresa is involved in several things that we do as a ministry. She's a a part of the Nothing Is Wasted family, along with her husband, Chris. Her husband is the care pastor over kind of the care area for Granger Community Church, which is a church up in the South Bend area. Very cool. And they are, as a church, going to be launching the Pain to Purpose course. Awesome. So... That's how we got connected with Teresa. Teresa actually went through the Pain to Purpose course by herself as an individual. She purchased it. And then later, we heard some feedback from her about about the course. And uh, she had done a lot of trauma um, therapy as well as then trauma, learning how to be a trauma coach. And her feedback about the Pain to Purpose course was incredible. She, I mean, it was so humbling to hear her say, this was so helpful for me to yeah. kind of put some exclamation points on my healing journey. So much so that she went to her husband and said, Hey, we've got to look into this. They're launching it in churches. And when they sat here and interviewed or did, did the interview with us, 
um, Chris and I began to chat about what it would look like to launch it at Granger Community, which is how kind, cool. of, That's kind of started the snowball of us thinking like, how do we get this into churches? How do we help other yeah. churches to experience this? So, so cool. And Chris and Teresa are also nothing is wasted certified guides. So they coach people one-on-one through the pain to purpose path. So a lot of cool tributaries overlap and overlap and yeah, of what, love that. what we do as a ministry, which you need to understand that like, we're not just a podcast. The podcast is kind yes. of the first stop for you. It's inspiration, but we really want you to move through your valley in a healthy way. We want to provide resources for transformation. Yep. And that's so right. this is the this is step one, and and we've got a lot of different resources to help you along the journey. One of the things that Teresa talks about really openly is um, after trauma kind of the way that we can cope with trauma Mm. is by telling ourselves false narratives about the trauma. That's sort of a complicated way, but of saying that our, our brain and our heart and our body kind of uh, to survive, help us tell stories about what happened that may or may not be true. Yeah. And sometimes it's like in the middle of the trauma, that's like your survival mechanism. That's like your, your fight or flight you know, instinct, instinctive nature is to say, I'm going to tell myself a false narrative about this in order to be able to keep my right mind in it. I think something, especially since um, so much of this series and this conversation on surviving abuse impacts women, something that's really important for women to um, think about and for people who are maybe walking with or supporting women who are walking through abuse or men walking through abuse. Um, that a lot of times, again, that, that fight or flight protective mm-hmm. mode, victims will tell themselves, oh, this isn't that bad, or oh, this isn't really mm-hmm. happening, or no, yeah. this doesn't look like it does in the movies or in the TV, so this isn't actually abuse. Right. But I, I do think it's important for um, women and men who are undergoing abuse to know that anything, I mean, of course, if if a hand is laid on you, that's abuse. Yeah. If um, he is gaslighting you, like making you think you're crazy, that's abuse. Um, If there's any kind of demeaning, um, violent language, Mm. that's abuse. There's emotional abuse, there's physical abuse, there's spiritual abuse. And it can be hard to sort of step back from it and get perspective. Um, And I do think this is where community comes in, right? If you have a friend that you feel safe with or a pastor or a counselor, a neighbor, someone you feel safe with, and you can say, this is happening. I don't think it's okay, but I don't know if it's okay. And tell me, am I crazy? That person can speak some truth to you and say, no, 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 this is abuse. You need to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I would even go as far as to say, and every situation is different. So, you know, we can't make generalizations about it's really difficult to counsel you or pastor you in these kinds of unique situations over a microphone where there's tens of thousands of you who are listening. That's right. But from my experience as a pastor, I've seen particularly men who, um, you know, I would say are, are borderline physical abusive. They're definitely emotionally abusive. They're definitely negligent. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of neglect going on in the, in the relationship who would say we, you know, we don't need, we don't need counseling. And they refuse to take that step with their with their spouse, um, and that needs to be a red light indicator for you. It may not be quite yet abuse, but there's right. something there inside of his heart that is a 
should be this flashing alarm that says, okay, something's going, something's, there's an issue. And if we keep going down this road, if he refuses to sit down with me and seek some professional help and seek some, um, just a sounding board and counseling together, then, you know, you, you are now left in a situation, you're, rock, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because there's no right. reconciliation that can take, there's no working through, there's no healing that can happen between you together. And there is there that can lead into this gaslighting type situation that says like, well, I don't, you know, we're fine. Everything's fine. You're okay. Which can also then cause you to be in a situation where in order for you to survive this, right. If mm. you're going to stay in the marriage in order for you to survive it, then you have to begin diminishing your trauma and your telling yourself your trauma, that right. it is not a big deal in order to survive. And, and it, and it is a big deal. And yeah. so I guess what we're saying is, is that this false narrative that gets um, built in order to survive trauma when you're in the middle of abuse, it needs to be untangled and it needs to be righted when you're no longer in that abusive situation. When you have found yourself again, once again, in a safe situation, you've got to begin to look at um, and rewrite the trauma narrative inside of you. And that's one of the things that Teresa talks a bit about mm-hmm. in this conversation, but as I've, as I've had conversations with her outside of this conversation, it's one of the things that she is really passionate about is helping people to kind of figure out what is the, what's the Jesus narrative in this? What's the real trauma narrative in this? It's good. What's actually taking place. Um, that is, you know, what are the, what are the right beliefs that need to replace the false beliefs that have transpired because of the abusive situation that I'm in? Yeah, that's good. Um, this, episode also has a mention of suicide. So we just want to let you know that if you've got little ears around, or if that's a trigger for you, it's just something to be mindful of. Um, and it's a really powerful one. So I would ask the Holy Spirit to be with you as you listen. And um, let's go ahead and dive into your conversation with Teresa now. Teresa, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Davey. I'm glad I got to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm so glad that you were here in person mm-hmm. and you guys don't live too far from us. I no. mean, a little bit of uh, a ways north, but right. why don't you tell us a little bit about where you live and your family, what you guys do. Your husband's with us here today yep. too. Yep. He's not on a microphone, but he's he's in the room with us. So give us a little bit of context for your life. Yeah. So uh, right now we're living in Granger, Indiana. And our two daughters both live there. So we have two girls, 27 and 29, I think. Uh, and <laughs> when, you, when they start getting up there in age, you it, just you don't even, it's like, it. I don't know. That's I can't right. remember my own age. That's you know? right. And uh, we have two great son-in-laws. They're both married. We have uh, one grandson, two years old, wow. and another one on the way. So um, yeah, it's exciting times for us. We love living by our family. Yeah. Uh, Chris serves on staff at Granger Community Church. Mm-hmm. So we are blessed to be part of that ministry as well. Oh, well, it's an unbelievable ministry. I yes. got to spend a weekend with you guys right before COVID hit. Yes. It's like, I'm holding on to that. It's like, man, that was our last time right. out speaking. <laughs> that was such a great weekend. I know God did just some incredible stuff For while sure. we were there. And and you guys are in a quite a season, quite a season of transition. Um, yes, we are. And, and everything. And, and you guys are on the front lines of that. You're in mm-hmm. the trenches of help, helping people to navigate their trials and their valleys, their trauma. Um, as they come to you. And it's a large church. So, I, I mean, you have a lot, you guys have a lot that you're handling and that you're having to deal with. Yes, there is. But it's really exciting. It's exciting mm-hmm. times. Um, 
lots of changes happening there, but all really yeah. good. And we're really excited about where God's going to take the church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that we uh, connected prior to me going up there Yeah, and uh, uh, you guys weren't there the weekend that I was speaking. And so we've kind of missed each other quite a bit. So I'm glad we get this opportunity to do, to do this in person. And I know you have a very, um, uh, a very uh, heart wrenching story and it's um, it can be a heavy one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I know that it's filled with a lot of hope, especially with the stuff that you're doing to help people mm-hmm. out of this. And so I'd love for you just to take us on, on a journey, take us on the journey of the, the trauma that you experienced um, as a child and growing up and, mm-hmm. um, and then just unpack that for us and what you, what you, uh, what you experienced and, and then what you've learned from that. Sure. So um, I grew up in a suburb of Detroit. So we, we live just north of Detroit. And um, my parents divorced when I was about two and a half, three years old. And initially, my mom had custody of us. And then for financial reasons, my my dad ended up getting custody of us. So it was myself and I had two older brothers. And we grew up with my dad and my stepmom. We got to go see our mom every other weekend. Um, but our home environment was certainly a difficult environment to grow up in. Um, my dad was a heavy drinker. And unfortunately, um, he could be violent at times. So um, we had we had a difficult upbringing. Um, you know, we were not encouraged as kids. We were really there were times where he would have us just sit at the table and just you know tell us that we were worthless and useless and no mm-hmm. good. And I mean, that could go on for hours. And um, wow. then we'd just be sent to our rooms. And, um, how, how old were you just out of curiosity? I'm I want to like say put yeah. myself at that place. Yeah. You know? I want to say, I remember that probably six, seven wow. in that so age the range age of my kids right now. For, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, there was a lot of rage in him. So, yeah. um, a lot of it came out in verbal abuse towards us. Mm. Um, and so that, that really was challenging because when you grow up hearing that, right. You know, you you have to at some point make a decision. Either I really believe that right. or I'm just going to rebel against that and say I don't believe it. So, you know, the environment was just, um, it was it was rough. And so eventually, as we started to get a little bit older, I probably started doing drugs and drinking at a really young age. Mm. Uh, my 13th birthday, I remember I drank a pint of schnapps. I was 13 wow. years old. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, a lot of that was environmental or that was kind of the world we grew up in. And so you just drank, right? right? I mean, and that's just how it was. Um, And so, you know, my brothers were partying. And so I was partying at a young age and smoking pot um, before school, seventh grade. You know, it was just the environment we grew up in. And, you know, um, my dad, there were times where things were really bad at home. There was violence with animals. There was violence with, um, he beat my stepmom on numerous occasions. Um, there was one in particular, I want to say I was in ninth grade. It was eighth or ninth grade. And to lay the story out would be too confusing, but he had bought me and my two girlfriends some wine because he was going to go out for the night with my stepmom. We were in eighth or ninth grade. Wow. And it's at that point, you think he's, really cool, right? Like yeah, your dad's right. so like, cool. Oh, wow. He gave you wine to drink. So we drank the wine and giggled, whatever, went to bed. 
And we woke up to pounding on the door and my stepmom screaming and um, lots of confusion. You wake up with that adrenaline of what's happening. Mind you, this wasn't uncommon for me, but I had two friends with me. And so um, when we went out into the hall, my stepmom was laying on the ground just covered in blood. Um, He had beat her up at the bar and then brought her home and left. So the police were knocking at the door because apparently our neighbors had heard them. So we let I let the police in and they said, we already saw her at the bar. Your dad beat her up. And I, I, I was like, well, can, what can I leave? And he said, we can't we can't give you permission to leave. You need to ask your parents. And you're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> OK. Um, so they left. They left us there. And so I was trying to get my friends to climb out the window and leave because I knew he was going to be back home. Yeah. My stepmom couldn't even get up. I mean, she had drank so much, but also had been beaten right. really bad. Um, when my dad came home, when we saw him coming home, we ran back into the bedroom and we shut the door. And it was only in the last year have I really uncovered a lot of these memories to the degree that they're really true. Mm. And um, I remember laying on the floor, my friends were on the bed, and I remember trying to calm my body down so I would stop trembling because I knew he'd come in. So he came in and turned on the light and stood there for a long time. And we just tried to lay like we didn't know what was going on. And and he left, and then we could hear what was going on out there as he was yelling at her and trying to get her in the shower. And, you know, he came back in the room again. And I realize now I was actually fearing for my life in that moment because... I didn't know what he was going to do. I knew what he was capable of. I later, I've recently talked to one of my friends, the friend that was there. And I said, were you afraid for your life? And she said, I was so afraid. Mm. I was so afraid, but I didn't want to leave you. I mean, we were kids, you know? And so that's just one of the things, the environment we grew up in. It was really toxic and lots of violence. And, and again, we were, we were taught that we were, no good. Right. And that we wouldn't amount to anything. We didn't, obviously, we didn't grow up in a church home. Church mm-hmm. was really kind of, I, I would say we were more anti-church. My dad okay. really wanted nothing to do with church. So my understanding of who God was, was minimal. Um, mm-hmm. We had a little bit of exposure to church. We didn't even go on holidays. I remember they used to bus. Do you remember like mm-hmm. they would bus, the bus kids? Bus ministries, yeah. yeah, bus ministries, and um, they would come to your door even if you weren't going to go to church. You yeah. know, so my dad would be like, "Everyone, be quiet!" You know, <laughs> and they would knock on the door. You know, and you had to be quiet because he'd be like, "They just want your money." And so, you know, you wow. what, do you, what, do, what would you know? I'm like, I guess they just want our money. I don't know. Like we ha- we didn't even have money. So, yeah. anyhow, I had I had really no exposure to church, and any understanding of God just came through what. I saw in other people or yeah. might have heard, but it was really minimal. Yeah. Um, and so as life began to move on, we were kind of just living and trying to figure out how to walk through this life and how to make it out. Right. And that right. was the goal. Can we just make yeah, it out? Just get out of the house. Yeah. Get out of, let's yep. just get out. Um, I was in my senior year of high school and, um, you know, we were, plugging along. My brothers had both graduated. I was the baby. And um, the middle of us, he had moved out. So it was just me and my oldest brother, Scott, that were still living at home. And it was midterm exams, my senior of high school. And I had come home from school. I had to run to the grocery store and pick up a few things. I came home and I noticed that his car was at home. 
And honestly, he was probably at that point in my life, one of my favorite people. I adored him and how in any way that he could um, present himself as a father to me, he did. He tried very hard to make sure if I was going to a party that he knew where I was you know, wow. he'd, he'd always be like, if they're snorting cocaine, you need to call me. It's like, <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, that's how we grew up. You yeah. know, he's trying to watch out for me in the way that he knew how. So I came home and um, I saw that his car was there and I was excited. I was like, oh, cool. He must be home on his lunch hour. And um, as soon as I walked in the door, I knew something was wrong. Um, the dogs, we had two dogs. They were cowered under the table. And um, there was a note on the table that said, don't come in my room. And it was just signed Scott. And so, I mean, naturally, you're going to go right, in his room. Right. You know, nobody was home but right. the two of us. So as I started down the hallway, I could see his feet. He had his door cracked a little bit, and I could see that he was laying on the floor. And I remember thinking, what is he doing, you know? So I opened the door, and I saw that he had a shotgun laying on his chest. And... um you know, in that moment, you know, God knows how to stop you. Yeah. Um, I didn't know. I didn't, I really couldn't comprehend in that moment what happened. And so I actually kicked him a little bit, like just nudged him and said, hey, get up, you yeah. know. And he didn't move, of course. And at that moment, I was gripped in fear. I knew. I, I, I don't know that I knew he was gone, but... I became very afraid. So I ran out of the house and I ran to my neighbors and I said, can you call the police? Something's happening. I, Scott has a gun and she's like, what? And so she came over to the house and I was trying to get her to go look. And she's like, no, 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 I'm just going to call the police. So she called the police and they were there in like a minute, you know, and they walked out of the room. And when they shut the door, I knew that he had taken his own life. And they said, you need to call your family. Your brother's gone. And um, I said, no, 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 I can't call him. Like, what What do you mean? And, you know, they're like, he's taken his own life. And so, you know, I had to sit and watch every one of my family members come home with the tragedy of watching them react to the news that yeah. he had ended his own life. And I remember... Um, they walked out of the house with a shotgun, you know, they were holding it by the top and the bottom of the shotgun walking out in that moment of just like, is this really real? Yeah. And more than that, there was a sense of that by now people are surrounding our house because there's ambulance and fire trucks. And I thought to myself, we are exposed now, right? Yeah. Like the environment that we grew up in, it's now exposed because Scott took his own life. But the really ironic thing is we all said to each other, why did he do it? Why? I mean, we said why that all the time. Yeah. And um, it's very obvious why. Now mm. I look back, I go, of course. We were, at some point you either decide I really am worthless and I'm really going to amount to nothing or you decide that's not true about me. And I believed at some point he just decided I just can't anymore. He had already had a couple drunk driving tickets and, you know, things were just rough. And I think until you grow up in a home like that, yeah. where you're not really loved or nurtured, you begin to believe the things that you're told. Mm. And, um, you know, I look back and I think 
I, not only did I lose somebody that I dearly loved, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but you know what it's like to walk in and find somebody gone. Right. Um, I, I had a ton of PTSD that I didn't yeah. know was right. PTSD. Nobody was able to say to me, hey, you know, you probably need to get some counseling or you probably need to get some help. It was just um, you go into the mode that you know really well in that survival mode, right? Yeah. I got to just get through this. And so, um, you know, we went through the funeral and we went through, you know, all of those things. And um, it was my senior year. I had a, a trip planned for Florida for spring break. And I remember saying, I can't go. Like, my family is a mess. It was just, it was bad. We were all just in a bad place. And we didn't know how. We didn't have the tools yeah. on how to cope with something like that. Right. Um, so you're just all in your individual survival modes. And everybody's just trying to figure out how to get through the next day. Yeah. And so I decided to go to Florida. And, you know, I went to, we went on spring break, 85. And I met Chris there mm. in Florida on spring break and he lived three miles from me. So, you know, you begin to see God's hand in this. Right. I mean, I can see God's hand in it now all over it, Yeah. but that's the first time um, that I could really see, Oh, you know, I went down there. Here's my friends kind of huddled around right, me going, right. don't talk to her. She's got a lot happening in her life. They were very protective of me. And Chris and I were just friends and came back and I asked him to go to prom just as friends. Yeah. And, and um, we ended up falling in love. <laughs> and uh, the really funny thing is I'll laugh about now is like Chris had this desire to, he read the Bible all the time. And I was mm. like, that's so weird. Like why he was reading the Bible. <laughs> and it was actually a mild annoyance to me because I didn't understand. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were, we then, we were just, again, trucking through life. We decided we were going to get married um, we got married and um, we had two little girls and I remember our girls were very little and um, we were, I, I want to say we were six or seven years into our marriage and I remember having this really, this moment that was so defining for me. They were playing on the floor and I remember thinking, I have the power to either create a great life for you or to totally destroy your life. Mm. Like the weight of what yeah, it is to yeah. be a mom, it was huge in that moment. Perhaps the most important part of my healing journey after losing my late wife, Amanda, was sitting down at my kitchen table and beginning to write what eventually became the first chapter of the book, Nothing is Wasted. I started doing this before any publisher picked up our story and agreed to publish it. Why did I start writing before that? Because long before anyone else needed to read it, I needed to write it. I needed to get enough distance from my tragedy to begin to see God's story in all of it. I needed to untangle my overwhelming emotions. Writing was the key to this, and the person that helped me understand this and get rolling is my good friend and writing coach, Allie Fallon. You may remember Allie from way back in episodes seven and eight of the podcast. She's releasing a book in January called The Power of Writing It Down, A Simple Habit to Unlock Your Brain and Reimagine Your Life. In this book and in this month's bonus episode, Allie unpacks why writing down your story is one of the most powerful tools you have at your disposal to see your life with clarity and become the most empowered version of yourself. 
If you want to catch this bonus episode or any of our other bonus content, head to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. If you're hesitant about committing $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Here's a little preview of this bonus episode with Allie. One of the things that writing is is best at doing, and this is the same is true for a, a cognitive behavioral therapeutic approach with a therapist, is writing is really great at revealing to you the thoughts that you didn't know you were thinking. Yeah. And it does that because it disengages the part of your brain that's regulatory and it drops you into the part of your brain that that isn't regulatory. Mm-hmm. So your your limbic system isn't trying to filter your thoughts to know like what's socially acceptable and what is an appropriate thing to say. When we sit down to the page to do expressive writing, a lot of times you'll catch yourself saying things that you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even Mm. know I thought that, or I didn't even know I felt that. And once that's revealed to you, you can start to see how this model is at work in your life and how it might be affecting your behavior and affecting your outcomes in a way that you wish it wasn't. About that time we began, Chris and I began to talk about moving. Chris was looking for a new direction in his, he was in the business world and was looking for a new direction, but we didn't have that figured out yet, but God knew where he was leading us. <laughs> Chris looked at maybe being a firefighter or a nurse or, you know, God right. was calling him somewhere right. and we couldn't figure it out. So <laughs> Helping people just I, in a different capacity. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So we ended up moving and we decided we should probably start trying to go to church, right? For me, I'll say that going to church was, I thought this would be a good way for my girls to grow up differently than I did. Yeah. And so I thought this will be good. We'll get them in church and we'll get them some whatever, and it'll be really good for them, right? right? That was was why I wanted to go. So Chris went out and looking for a church, came home, he's like, found a great church. You know, here Chris had a lot more understanding of the Bible and all of this, and he came home like, man, this pastor's awesome. We need to go to this church. I'm Mm. like, that sounds great. So we went... And I wish I wish we had the date. We don't have it, but it wasn't long until he gave the message of the old rugged cross. Right? Mm. It was just a. It was just an old rugged cross yep. on Calvary message, and I remember sitting in the very back of the church, and I was a wounded person. Wow. I had had a lot of trauma in my yep. life, and um, I was hurting. But I didn't know that. It sounds so weird to say, but I really didn't understand how hurt I was. And so sitting in the back of the church and listening to the story about Jesus on the cross, and he did this whole come forward if you want to accept Christ, you know. Mm. And I laugh now. I have this visual of me and all my baggage trying to make it to the altar. (laughs) Pulling it along with you. (laughs) Dragging it, bumping into people, you know, make way. But it was really a moment I'll never forget, kneeling at the front and just saying, I just can't anymore. Like, I'm just carrying a lot with me, and I just can't anymore. And, um, you know, it was a it was a great moment, and it was a defining moment in our lives. Um, Chris recommitted his life to Christ, and we kind of decided at that point, we're going to, we're going to do this. Like, you know, like we had this attitude of like, we're going to do this. Yep. We're going to, 
make a change. And I want, I desperately wanted my girls to grow up differently than I did. I didn't want them to experience that level of trauma. And so, um, so we did, I mean, our friends were like, so what are you guys doing? Like, I mean, our, <laughs> they just, nobody could understand. It was yeah. a radical life change for us. And, um, we then Chris started saying, I feel like God's calling me in the ministry. And I was like, what is that? Like, you know, <laughs> we're like brand new Christians and you're going to go in the ministry. Uh, you know, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. But, yeah. um, you know, we went from drinking and partying to Chris went in the ministry. We made a, it was a radical life wow. change for us. Wow. And so, so yeah. So then we, um, Chris started serving in ministry and, you know, you begin to learn ministry's tough. Yeah. It's not, it's not, I, I think I went in thinking this is going to be great. Everybody's right. going to love us. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're going to love my husband. And, uh, yeah. And it, if you learn, if you have unaddressed trauma, it's going to get pulled out of you. Oh man. In ministry, it's it, going to emerge for exactly. sure. Exactly. If wow. you understand the trauma, right. I yeah. didn't, I didn't understand yeah. the. I didn't understand the triggers in my life. Mm. Um, I didn't understand that. I, I actually walked a long time with a lot of triggers that I did not know were right. triggers. Right. I was you just, just thought it was normal. You thought this is, yeah, you know, this is just how mm. I live my life. Mm. I struggle with, um, men authority in my life. Mm. I mean, anybody who grew up with a dad that is violent and right. heavy drinking and you are going to struggle with right. men authority in your life. It's in, I, I remember God one time took me to this place that he was like, you got to lay this down. I mean, we were at camp, we we're at church camp and it was like every message I'd be like to Chris, like seriously, another one. He's like, I don't even, what are you talking about? <laughs> he didn't say anything about that. Ex what are you talking that's about? That's exactly yeah. what was happening. And I was like, Oh, I feel, I guess God's after me. Like I gotta, I gotta wow. work this thing out. I have a struggle with men authority in my life. And so, um, so he did, I mean, I did a lot of work here. Here's what's crazy is that early on, God made it very clear to me. I need to forgive my dad mm. for so many things. And so I did a lot of work on that, forgiving wow. my dad. I went to churches and shared my testimony about forgiving my dad. I went to church camps and shared. Um, it was, True. it was a story of the violence and the way that I grew up my dad passed away um, shortly after I was saved, um, and um, I was able to come to a place that I had forgiven him. Um, I, he wasn't asking for forgiveness, but I needed to do that. I knew that God wanted me to do that so that I could move forward in my right. walk and in even a ministry of mine, ministering to other women, and right. um, how can we do that? So, so yeah, so I did that, and I shared, which will later become very ironic, but you know, I went to a lot of churches and shared about how I had forgiven my dad and um, kind of had walked through that piece of it. So as we were kind of journeying along on our walk with the Lord, there were a lot of triggers happening for me, um, a lot of things that were um, impacting my life, and but I couldn't get a handle on them. I couldn't understand what was happening. So I'll kind of fast forward a little bit to last year. Um, last year, well, I'm sorry, it would have been 2018 okay. Christmas. My daughter gets my husband and I a DNA test for fun, right? We're going to, you're going to do a DNA test. And I was like, that's awesome. I'd love to know my heritage. Yeah. Both of my parents were from Kentucky and really we heard we had a lot of Indian in our family. And okay. so, you know, we'll, we'll figure all this out. So we send our DNA test in and, um, you know, you get regular text messages that says, we're almost done. Yeah. You're, you know, 
So I was at the mall and um, this was January 20th of 2019. So this was last year. I'm, out, I'm at the mall and my test results, I get a text that says my test results are in. So I pop it open and it says that I'm 49% Italian. And so I was like, what? You know, so I was like, that's weird. So I took a screenshot of it and I was like, whatever, I'll figure it out when I get home. Well, it was like, I was walking through Macy's, like, I'd really like to shop, but that's weird. Hmm. So <laughs> I was like, I better go home and I can get on a computer so I can actually see the screen and yeah. try to figure out what this is. So I go home and I start digging through it and there's all, it connects you to people that you genetically connect to as well. So it says, these are your first cousins. These are your second cousins. You know, wow. I knew half of them. And I didn't know the other half of them. Anybody on my father's side didn't show up. There were no, mm. none of them. I wasn't genetically connected to any of them. And so as my daughter is trying to help me and we're Facebook creeping on these people that I was connecting to, yeah. they were in my community. They grew up where I grew up. And so, wow. um, so through some conversations with my mom, I was able to figure out that the father I grew up with was actually not my father. And I was able to figure out who my biological father was, who has passed away. Um, he was already gone. And um, this led me to a complete breakdown. Wow. Um, you know, um, I had, it changed everything for me, Davey. It yeah. was, I until you've walked in that, it changed everything. Wow. So I was like, as you begin to try to work through, so did, so I actually grew up with two people I wasn't even related to. Right. All of that trauma at the hands of my dad, and he wasn't even my dad. Wow. Um, it, it was, it was a complete meltdown. Um, I actually, I ended up, um, try, I thought I was going to have to be hospitalized more than once. Um, I was having panic attacks. I was, um, I was crying. I probably cried for a straight year. What was happening is I was going back through my life and rummaging through all these things that had happened to me to say, what did I miss? How did I not know he wasn't my dad? Like I must've missed something. So I would go back through these trauma events and I started asking God, Lord, show me that event as it really was, not as I've mm. built narrative around it, because we have a tendency to build narrative around our trauma yeah. because it's what we can deal with, right? Yeah. And I was asking God to just uncover it for me. Let me really see it for what it was. And it was awful. Mm. Every traumatic event I had been through, I was then digging back through again, I was reliving again with different lenses on to say he wasn't my dad and I grew up with him and my brothers were actually my half brothers and I don't have any full siblings. And it was just, it was awful. Wow. And so trying to find support around that was certainly challenging because it's a pretty unique phenomenon. It's a very unique circumstance. Yes. Yeah. Um, there is a, a secret Facebook group that's out there Right now, there's about 8,000 of us in this group wow. of people who have had a similar event happen to them. Because DNA tests are on the rise, yeah. any any things that have happened in the past are now uncovered. So it's really been um, 
quite a journey to to try to figure out how to walk through this piece of it. There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of therapists who can give a lot of support because uh, the the most they can do is adoption, right? They yeah. can deal with somebody like yeah. they've been adopted, but this is a whole different level because you believed one thing to be true, right. and then it's not. And so um, through that time, as Chris and I, as Chris tried to come alongside me and and even Chris was thinking, what is going on? Like you are falling apart. And I would, I'm telling you, I cried for almost a year. I couldn't stop crying. I was so hurt that I didn't know. I was so frustrated that I had been through everything I had been through for what? Like yeah. he wasn't even my dad. And I found myself then like, God telling me, you need to forgive him again. Like I have to re-forgive him because I forgave him with a slight pass because he was my dad. You know what I mean? You kind of go, I mean, what are you going to do? He's my dad. And all of a sudden, oh, he's actually not my dad. Like I have to re-forgive for that. So can can you real quick, because I I have this like thought in my head right now, Yeah, but I don't know if it's accurate. So tell me how accurate this is. But to me, it would seem like the, the idea that he is your dad and yet he's been abusive to you, there's probably some little tiny inkling of, well, underneath it all, sure, he had his own pain. He still loved me. Yeah, right. And then maybe this is the the reality of this dismantled all of that. It's like, you didn't even love me. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Is it, that what kind of it? It's, uh, can you, yeah, can you unpack yeah, maybe how you, it was how really, it dismantles everything a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, with him finding out that he wasn't my dad, um, I, I'll be honest, I don't think he knew. I don't oh, think he knew. Okay. Um, I'll never know. Mm. I am not somebody who sits well with, I'll never know, right? right I want right, to know. Right. Like, I want to know, but I'll never know. But as I go back through it and I think about, my life, I don't think he knew that I wasn't his, but I'm not sure. Um, but what happens, I think we don't realize we do it, but when our parents are our parents, you kind of have this attitude of if that's who God gave me as my parents, right? Mm. I mean, they're biologically my parents. I'm related to them. Yes, there was a lot of trauma there. Yes, I lost my brother because of it. Yes, but but he was still my dad, mm. right? I mean, there's just this thing in you that says, he kind of gets connected a, that, yeah, yeah. And he gets a bit of a pass because yeah. he was my dad. Yeah. When he wasn't my dad, I had to deal with just rage at times mm. of this internal, you weren't even my father. Like what are you kidding that I went through all of that and you weren't even my dad. And so I began to just, as I started to fall apart, I couldn't, I would have to leave work cause I couldn't stop crying. Mm. I would, here, Chris is a pastor of care, and he'd be dealing with people all day, and he'd come home to me just a mess, right? And I, I just felt it was really a lonely space to be yeah. because I couldn't even figure out what was happening to me. And so, you know, I kept thinking, okay, okay, today I'm going to pull it together, right? I'd be like, mm. I, I've got this. I'm going to pull it together, and I'm going to be fine. And I, I couldn't, I wouldn't even get to work without crying. You know, there were times in the morning, Chris would say, I want to pray for you. I said, please don't pray for me in front of you because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to start crying. And if you usher me in the presence of God, I'm going to start crying. And once wow. I start, I can't stop. So I would say, can you just pray for me after I leave? And, you know, he would just be like, okay, you know, but he wanted to pray for me. I couldn't listen to worship music. I was like, I can't, like, I just can't stop crying. And so... I began to think, okay, how am I going to get healed? 
I'm after healing here, yeah. right? I want to get healed. <laughs> I want to get out of this mess. And so um, I would think, okay, maybe it's a sermon. Maybe I got to listen to a sermon. Maybe it's a podcast, right? <laughs> it was one of the things, honestly, that led me to your podcast. I was listening to a lot. There are podcasts for people like me right. who grew up, who found out their parent wasn't their parent. So I would listen to a lot of those podcasts. Those podcasts were really just sinking me into a darker yeah, space. Yeah. My HR director actually said, you should listen to Nothing is Wasted podcast. Mm. And it's about trauma, right? So I started to listen to your podcast, but I kept thinking, what is it, God, that's going to heal me? Like, what is it going to take? I can't stop crying. And I can't stop. I was having nightmares about my dad chasing me. I woke up one night. I said to Chris, I had a nightmare. He had a gun in my head. Like, there was just lots of traumatic things. And so um, I, I, you know, was it going to be a sermon? We went to Israel, right? I was like, okay. I didn't want to go to Israel because I'll be honest, I was having panic attacks. I was, mm. I was thinking, put me in a plane for 15 hours. That's yeah. a great time for me. But God unfolded it and we're like, okay, we're going to go. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be awesome, right? Yeah. This is going to be a great this, story. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. It's just going to all of a sudden. In Israel. Yeah. I mean, come on, I'm going to whatever, right? right? Something great's going to happen in Israel. And there were some incredible moments in yeah. Israel. I mean, one of them, we were in Capernaum. And um, I, one of my favorite stories in scripture is the woman with the issue of blood, right? Mm. And we're sitting at Capernaum and I said to Chris, can you just give me a minute? Like, I just want to sit here. I was a mess in Israel. And so I was sitting there and I was thinking about her and I was thinking about how desperate she was. She was yeah. at the end right. and had nothing left and was desperate and was willing to risk it all, yep. right? And so I was like, God, that is me right now. Just just weeping, right? Yeah. Sitting on this bench in Capernaum, like she was here and I'm here. And, uh, you know, kind of a side funny story. There's a picture someone took and they actually captured that moment where I'm sitting on the bench. And Chris is kind of off to the side and he has his cell phone in his hand. And my girlfriend says, there's you crying. And there's Chris going, nearest hem. Like, I got to find a hem. My wife is looking for a healing, right? Like, oh. I need to touch the hem of yeah, Jesus. Right? Like, I am desperate to be healed oh, right now. Man. But, um, you know, it wasn't Israel. It, yeah. it wasn't, the healing wasn't going to come in Israel. And it wasn't going to come in just one thing. But what is so great about God is it was all those things. Mm. It was every step that I took and every time I kept seeking and I kept knocking and I kept pleading, God, I am desperate for you to heal wow. me through this. When I found out that my dad wasn't my dad, that was, I, I said this to my husband and he said, I can't even believe that. The moment I walked in and found my brother dead and the moment I found out my dad wasn't my dad, that trauma level was the same. Mm. It was the same for me. Yeah. Now the outcome was different, but the the your brain trying to compute what's really happening was the same. And so I knew, God, you've given me, there's been a lot of trauma and you've given me two really big ones. Yeah. It's not for nothing. I know it's yeah. not. I know you want to do something with this, but I, I would prefer that you heal me right now, yeah. <laughs> right? Right now would be in great. A, so I in can, an instant. Come yeah. On. <laughs> so I can move on to whatever it is you have yeah. for me. Yeah. But it wasn't going to be that. I think God needed to take me through that year. First of all, I learned as a child to not cry because mm. 
crying meant you weren't safe yeah. and you were vulnerable. And so I learned to not do that. So when it was unleashed, <laughs> you've got lots of tears stored up yes, that needed to be for sure. It was go, a yeah. year of it. Wow. And I mean, there were times I just couldn't stop crying. Yeah. And I feel like God was like, you're safe now. Mm. You're in a home that is safe. So now's the time. That's good. Let's yeah. get it out. And so, you know, to go back through all of the trauma and try to figure out, you know, how all of it was going to make sense someday. Yeah. You know, I don't know that it'll all make sense someday, but I know that God wants to use it. You know, um, I ended up, I did your course, your course, I would say the pain to purpose course was one of the things I did that, that helped me to take a leap forward in my healing. Um, there were a couple things that I would say were really, these were some big things that helped me. And I would say your course was one of them. I will say I went in wanting a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, purpose this pain, Lord, please don't make this just for me. Mm. And so out of that, when I finished the course, I came across this trauma recovery course. Mm. It's trauma recovery coaching. And um, I was like, what? That sounds, it sounds so familiar for me. Trauma right. is a thing. It's a right. thing that I lived in for a long time and that I just experienced. What I've learned through that course is what I what happened to me when I found out my dad wasn't my dad it's very normal that we take our childhood trauma, we frame it so it makes sense to us. We yeah. build a narrative around it so it makes sense to us. We minimize it mm. because we actually can't even cope with the reality right. of what it is. Right. So when people say, you've been through a lot, I would say, well, yeah. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, God's That's got me so through it. so crazy, Teresa. Yes. I mean, I experienced the same thing. You've heard Christy tell her story yes. on the podcast, and it was the same thing when I met her. Yes. She would say these things, and I'm like, Wait, hold on, stop. Wait, what did you just say? Yes. You really went through that? You experienced that? You know that's not normal. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So it's making a lot of sense what you're saying right now. Well, because we actually minimize it because we can't even. So they have this, I heard a phrase called the unthought known. Mm. You know it, but you just can't bring it up to your thoughts because it's just too dangerous, right? It's Mm. too, I can't, I can't. Like, Lord, I can't bring it up there because it's so scary to think about the many times I feared for my life. Yeah. Like putting that language mm. to it, I feared for my life. I never said that. I would say I'm scared. I was scared, but never the reality of I actually feared for my life until God took me back through all these trauma events and helped me to unfold them so I could see them as they really were. Yeah. And so, um, uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kloek, who wrote the book, mm-hmm. um, the, body the Body Keeps, keeps the, the Score, score. Yeah. I heard him on a podcast and he, he said, um, they were doing a Q&A and somebody said, um, is it possible for somebody to experience significant trauma in their life, to minimize it, to go through life saying it was fine, to only 50 years later be re-traumatized and it all surfaces. So here's me on the <laughs> edge like, of my seat. Yeah, that's me. Come yeah, on. <laughs> waiting for his answer. And his answer was, it's absolutely classic yeah. in trauma survivors. Right. So what I know now is that what happened to me last year was normal. Mm. And boy, there's comfort in that in knowing. So my falling apart, God was just taking me back through that for the true healing yeah. that I needed. Yeah. Because I wasn't healed. I was being triggered all the time. Right. But I didn't know I was being triggered. I had no idea. Yeah. But now I understand that and I know it. 
you know, in this course, I've learned about the brain and how it develops, how through childhood trauma, your brain doesn't fully develop. And so to be able to understand that better and to understand that my frontal cortex goes offline often and my response is simply, I haven't thought it through. I didn't think about the results of it because, you know, when you grow up in a lot of trauma, you are in fight mode, right? That was me. I was in fight mode. Some go in flight. We go in different Mm. modes. Mine was fight. But our bodies weren't made to live in adrenaline. Mm. And I did. I lived in adrenaline when you're in fear all the time. And and there's results to that. Your body, um, you know, autoimmune disease are very common for people who grew up with childhood trauma or significant trauma in their life. And so to understand all of this stuff about me Mm. and to know that God walked me through Mm. all of that stuff. I mean, last year when I felt alone, there were moments that were so dark that, I mean, I told Chris, there were times I'd go to bed and I would just say, Lord, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'm okay with that. Mm. You know, it felt so heavy. And um, I realized now that's called suicide ideation. It wasn't that I was looking to Mm. commit suicide. It was just, it just felt too much for me. And yet... What I know is that God said, I'm right here yeah. and I know it's hard and I'm going to walk with you through the whole thing. The scripture that always came to mind is that in John 10, 10, when he says, I've come that you may have life mm. and have it to the full, right? God didn't want me to keep walking around, A, with the incredible secret, right. B, with all of these triggers and living my life like that. He wants me to have life to yeah. the full. What does that mean? It means that we're not living in our past and in all of our trauma, right? So um, so the course has been, the trauma recovery coaching course has been incredible. I've learned so, so much about what God can do. And I've also learned a lot about how we as a church, um, framing sometimes when we deal with a trauma survivor, we have to be careful to not just say things like, you have to forgive, just right. forgive, you right. have to forgive, like, it's not it's not that easy, no. right? And having some compassion and understanding of how as a church we can rally around these people who have been hurt. And there yeah. are stories in this there are people in this course, these stories that I just they're so hard to hear. Yeah. And and these aren't Christians, not all of them are Christians that are in this course, right? But what excites me is that God is going to purpose my pain, yeah. and I'm confident of that. So it's very exciting yeah. to be able to lift my head up and say, yeah, I've been through a lot, but I can actually do something with it now. Yeah. Wow. So I, that's a lot I just unpacked. Teresa, it's a lot, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's um, it's heavy, and it's amazing yeah. at the same time because of the different insights that you were bringing out there throughout the whole thing. That I feel like now you're getting kind of a handle on and, and being able to give some um, some language to what you were experiencing. Yeah. And um, I I I think it's really interesting this because I'm it's something I've kind of been resonating with recently. But this this season that you went through, where this year where everything just kind of fell apart, yep. so to speak, um, seeing that as like God's grace mm-hmm. that season as God's grace in your life yes, because it's for the first time that you recognized you were in a safe space. Yes. Your life was not in danger anymore. And you actually had a, a safe space and a safe person and your husband yes. 
to be able to unpack these things. And I think it's important to note that because especially married couples, if, if you are married to someone who has gone through a lot of trauma and then this begins to happen where it just like, it all comes out and it looks like they're just having a complete breakdown, a mental breakdown, whatever you want to call it, that it, it can, it can seem like, okay, something's, something's wrong. The reality is, is something for the first time is right. Amen. You know what I mean? I, I mean for the very true. first time, something is right. Yes. And now there's the recipe. There's the soil for us to be able to unpack this stuff. Because for years and years and years and years, you were living in survival mode. Yes. And it's so interesting after Christy and I have gotten married and finally she has felt this like season of just, I'm safe. Yes. And she like, there's just stuff that's come out and I'm like, wow, like I didn't, I don't know what to do with this. And if you, if you aren't aware of that, yes, then you can interpret it wrong, you know, as, especially yes. as a spouse, you can go, something's wrong here. And I'm like, no, no, no. And so what we've been able to reframe and that you're, you're articulating here is like, this is a gift right now Yes, because you're telling me that this, that you feel safe. And that's finally. exactly, I didn't understand it when I was going through it. I couldn't understand I, I'm telling you, I pleaded with God to heal mm. me. I pleaded, like, I wanted, I was like, is there a pill I can take? Is there a, you know, an anti, what, what can I do? Yeah, like, right. I got to get out of this. I'm thinking I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. I kept leaving work. My husband's coming home. I'm crying all the time. You know, God, we did, we had just moved to Indiana yeah. with our, to, to live by our girls. I'm thinking, why'd you bring me here? Mm. So my girls can watch me fall apart. Mm. The truth is he brought me here so my girls could see me walk well through yeah, this, that's good. right? And that they can see me healed. Then that they know if something happens to me and I go through trauma, I can get through it. Go, right. We serve a God that is really faithful right. and that will get us through this. Now, I had to keep seeking, keep knocking, that's keep right. looking for God because it's easy to just say, I can't do this anymore. But I was desperate to get out of it. Yep. Like, and and then when I realized my crying, it's okay. It mm. is actually really good to cry. <laughs> yep. well, I didn't know that because to me, crying was really weak. And it yeah. meant you were vulnerable and it meant you were prey. So you better not cry. <sighs> and so to cry all the time, like I would be walking out of work puffy faced and people looking at me and I'm like, yeah, I'm crying again. You know, I mean, what are you going to do? Yep. It is what it is. I certainly couldn't stop it. But through therapy, I learned that it's, it's really good. Right. You need to cry. Right. And I'll tell you, there were times after therapy, she would speak some truth into me. I was seeing a Christian therapist and who was a, a great help for me. And I would just get in my car and just weep for those three mm-hmm. kids, you know, me and my brothers and all we had been through. And, and, you know, I would just, in my trauma course, I had to write a paper on PTSD mm-hmm. and I wrote about my brother's suicide and what happened to me after And nobody knew it was, I couldn't sleep with the light off. I came home and the door was locked. I certainly wasn't going to open it. Somebody better come open the door. I'm not going in. You know, there was a lot of things happening. And so as I was writing the paper, um, I had a moment of just him, right? And and my knowledge of trauma and what it takes to lay down and just put a shotgun to your head. I mean, you know, I I was so overwhelmed with sadness, like I think I never had been before. You just journey through, he he ended his life. I was just in that moment of writing this paper. I was like, like just bawling. Here we are, what, 30 years out from his death. And um, 
I'm, it's still hard. Yep. And I saw it differently now that I understand trauma and, you know, what that actually does to your brain and your ability to reason and all of those things. So, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a journey. Hey friends, Davey here. At this point, we've seen hundreds of people find healing from their trauma, reset their faith foundations, and move through their valley with a renewed sense of purpose, all because of our Pain to Purpose course. This is exactly what our hope and prayer for this course has been all along. We want as many people as possible to keep finding healing like this, so for the month of December, we want to give our Nothing is Wasted podcast listeners a gift. That's right, that's you. Are you ready for this? We're knocking $50 off the price of the course. This 11-part video course is designed to walk you step-by-step through and out of your valley and into a life of renewed purpose and impact. You can take this course at your own pace online, in one of our Nothing is Wasted community groups, or with the help of one of our certified guides. This could be a great Christmas gift for a friend or a loved one who's going through a particularly difficult time this holiday season. If you're interested in taking advantage of this offer of $50 off, text NIWGIFT to 66866. Again, that's NIWGIFT, NIW like nothing is wasted, GIFT, NIWGIFT to the number 66866. So pause this episode right now, text the number, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. You know, I wonder, I, I had somebody ask me this question one time. I wonder what you would say about this because yeah. you mentioned PTSD mm-hmm. and anytime someone experiences something like what you experience where you walk in and find your brother, what I experienced walk in and find Amanda, you're going to battle with PTSD some sure. form or fashion. For There's sure. going to be instances that, that trigger you, that take you right back to that moment, take you right back to the feelings that you felt in that moment. Um, I also learned a lot about that through the body keeps the score as well as yeah. reading, reading that after Amanda's passing. But, but someone once asked me, how do you get rid of the images yeah. that you see? You and know, I wonder what, yeah, curious. Yeah. What that's a great question that. because I've tried to, you don't, right? Mm-hmm. You don't, I, God didn't make our minds like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, um, I feel like there are parts of my life that I can't access and that's intentional, right? God, mm-hmm. There's things that God doesn't want me to access. There's memories that I can't quite get to that still trigger me, but I can't figure out why. And I'm careful to not just try to blow the lid off those because I want God to expose them in his time. So when I found my brother, I've went back to that moment and said, God, where were you? Where were you when I walked in there? And I try to see that instead as God standing in front of me saying, I was right there. I was right there weeping with you, and I was saying, "Don't go any further. You've seen enough, right?" I didn't go. I didn't go to see. All. I could have went way. I could have seen way more. I saw plenty. Trust me. Um, but you know, I've had to just say those memories. I've tried to just look more through the lens of where was where was God when I saw that, and to think that God was right there with me and. 
that makes it easier for me. I'm still mm. triggered from stuff. There's still things that I see that will trigger me. If I call somebody and so they don't answer, I think, oh my gosh, like I have this moment yeah. of like, are they, are they trying to take their life? So the, the aftermath of suicide in general is right. awful. Throw that in a dysfunctional family and it's, it's unbelievable. Right. And so I've tried to, A, recognize my triggers. What is my trigger? How do I try to get in front of God when I'm triggered and self-regulate, right? God, help me to see that. Help me to calm down my heart to stop beating so fast, you yeah. know, because triggers aren't easy to deal with. No. And it's not just a trigger from that event. There's triggers from a lot of other things. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll ever unsee yeah. what I saw. I think that's really great though to, you know, to reframe it in that sense, because it is a pipe dream to think that you can just unsee it. Yeah. The real question I think is how do you learn how to live with what you've seen yeah. and not just survive, not right. just live in a survival mode, but to, but to still thrive despite what you've seen. Right. Yeah. I think that's the real question when it comes to healing from trauma. Yes. And really the only answer is I believe what you just gave that idea of, well, where was God and how does he see this situation? Right. How does his heart break for it? For sure. You know, I, we, as I stated earlier, we didn't grow up in a church home. So dealing with something like this, you don't think yeah. about, you know, I mean, I, I know I was told anyone who commits suicide goes to hell, right? That's yeah. the, that's the worldly view right. of what happens. So you're just like, Oh my goodness. Like yeah. it, it's a complete loss. Right. Um, later after I was saved, I remember thinking somewhere, some family got on their knees that night and prayed yeah. for us. I know they did. Yep. You know, you don't get through that without somebody hitting That's their right. knees saying, God, be with that family That's right. that, you know, that just happened to. Yeah. It was a neighbor. It was somebody from school. I don't know, but somewhere someone knelt down and prayed for us that we would be able to get through that because it's a horrible, it's, it's a horrible event for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's unfortunate, just as you mentioned that, like, I grew up with that same kind of, uh, teaching in the church as a whole was like you, if someone commits suicide, right. then they are, right. they're going to hell. That's the, the last act that they did in their life was right. a sin, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's just unfortunate that I, and I think the church is getting a lot better with this. I think the more we have conversations, but it's unfortunate that historically the church has not been able to see nuance right? and go, you know, Hey, like God's scripture, like, and God, God's word, it allows for us to look at situations and look at people, most importantly, through the lens of Jesus right. with compassion Yes, and see the heart well, before we see the act. Exactly. You know, you know I had a moment, um, I had went out to his grave after I was saved, many, many years after I was saved and just stood at his grave and I thought, um, you knew him, God. Yeah. You knew what he saw um, as a young boy, you know what he went through. You knew him when he laid down and put a Bible in his pocket. We didn't even go to church. He had a little yeah. little Gideon's Bible, put it in his pocket and took his glasses off and put a shotgun to his head. You were there in that moment. I know that you don't turn your back on that. You knew him, right? Trauma we, our brains are crazy what yeah. they're able to do. And God made us that way. Right. 
so that we can cope with the things that we've been through. Right. And so I, I, you know, I struggled with that. I really had to wrestle that down and seek counsel to say for people who I trusted in, in to say, so is that true? Mm. And, um, yeah, I got great counsel. I remember um, Bob Laurent from, we were at Brown City Camp, and I he he spoke on suicide in the youth mm. tabernacle. And I talked to him afterwards, and he said, don't you believe that for a minute? Yeah. Scripture says we have no idea. No idea. So don't you, and I remember yeah. thinking, boy, that's certainly hopeful for someone who thinks, who heard yeah. for many years that that wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned this since this situation where you sat and you watched your daughters when they were young yes. and you were like, man, there's a power in my hands yes. and in my words to be able to build their life up, create a great life for them or destroy it. I'm curious as you like raised your girls, if you're maybe, maybe you can identify this or maybe not. Were there times where you saw that trauma playing out onto them in any way? You know, um, Often we kind of talk about like, unless you kind of address the hurt that you've absorbed, sure. right? You tend to kind of transfer that hurt onto other people and you don't even know it. Yeah. What, what was your experience with that? Was, was it one of those things where you're like, I am, because some people respond like, I want to stay as far away from what I experienced. So I'm going to yeah. kind of swing the pendulum on the other side for my yeah. kids. Or did you see some times where you felt irritable? you know, ang anger, yeah. it just kind of helped me understand that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I, I would certainly say that I struggled with being irritated and anger and, and always that underlying frustration about life in general. Right. I was incredibly, um, aware mm. of the weight I carried as their mom. And mm. I was going to do everything I could to try to give them a good life yeah. and, and a dad that they adored. Right. Mm. There was such a blessing to see my girls, you know, in our home, we had these, we were in this little house and they would jump, they would stand on their beds at night and Chris would stand in the middle of the hall and he would sing, you know, big, big house, you know, it's a mm. big, big house. And they'd be jumping on their beds <laughs> and just so excited about what God has for them. Right. Uh. And, um, I remember just having moments of like, wow, God, like, that's crazy wow. that you did that for me. So I would you say that was part of your healing journey? For too? sure, for sure. Just watching him watching him be a father him, to them yeah. and to see how they loved him. Mm. And even to this day, you know, it's still we have great relationship with our girls. And um I was very protective of them. And I think I probably went overboard with trying to keep them out of trauma and trying to keep them out of anything that would be bad. But at the same time, I knew that. Anything that happened in their life, God would use it to grow them. Mm. And so I wasn't sheltering them from anything, but I was very much the mother that, you know, watches over them. And yeah. I don't think a lot of it poured out on them. I will say Chris and I were very open about our past with our girls. We didn't hide the fact that mm. we used to party and, you know, I didn't, I never hid what my life was like. I was very transparent with them early on, we were as honest as they could handle, right? right? Um, right. Appropriately so, but they heard me give my testimony many times, mm. forgiving my dad, who wasn't my dad, yeah. you know? So, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it was crazy. But I think we tried hard, Chris and I tried very hard to give them a life that was different in hopes that God was the answer for that, and yeah. he was, yeah. Yeah, there, there were a couple things that I want to zero in on and make sure the listener really, like, takes home with this there was one thing you said where where chris would say hey can i pray with you yes. and you were hesitant about that because yes. you knew that that was gonna you said i can't 
please don't usher me into the presence of God right yeah. now. Yeah. And I got, I felt, I felt very emotional when you said that. I'm yeah. feeling emotional right now thinking about that because I overlay that with, again, this thing that we've already discussed about kind of this, this just like your, your emotions falling apart, this safe space that you finally realized you were in. Yes. And I think that every person who goes through any kind of trauma or tragedy has to go through that right there mm-hmm. because that like bottoming out moment where you feel like your world is falling apart because you're actually experiencing, like you're actually feeling mm-hmm. the trauma, you know, for a while it's been shoved, it's yes. been, it's been, you know, suppressed, it's been, you're just surviving, but now you're actually experiencing it because it's safe. Those are moments where the Lord is inviting you into his mm-hmm. presence and that's what I want the listener to hear is that this is a necessary point For to get sure. to. You have to get to these places as scary as it seems. Mm-hmm. You're like, I, I can't handle these emotions. I can't. This is the moment. These are the moments that God can use to heal you yes. because he's inviting you into being able to actually unpack this stuff. I know. And you know, Davey, honestly, it's one of the reasons that I want to be able to help people walk through trauma, I didn't know I was healing. Mm. I thought I was falling apart. I didn't. <laughs> That's what's so profound know, about that. You I know, know it. it. I didn't know I was healing. Yeah. I didn't know that that was healing. I just kept looking for a way out. I'll say that there was a moment in Israel, and I don't want to always go back to Israel, but I had some great moments there. Mm. We were in the garden that where the tomb is, right, in the garden. And, um, you know, it's sort of like a funeral, the feeling, everybody's very quiet going yeah, into the yeah. tomb, you know what I mean? And um, we, uh, our pastor at the time pre- prayed over us and we walked into the tomb and I was overwhelmed with God mm-hmm. saying to me, I died for you. And I, does it matter how you got here? It doesn't matter who your parents are. It, I hide for you. I was weeping. That one, there was no control over, like, I don't want to be ushered in the presence of God. I was standing (laughs) in the very presence of God. When we walked out of the tomb, I remember I was crying, out of control crying. And I remember there was a line and people were looking at me, probably thinking, oh, she's so moved by being in the tomb. No, I was moved because I was just in the presence of God who spoke directly to my heart to say, I love you. And I died for you. And it was just, we sat down on the bench and Chris kept saying, so what is it? What, Mm. just tell me, what is it? And I, I couldn't even speak. I'm just bawling, you know, and there's, he's handing me tissue after tissue after (laughs) tissue and I just can't speak. Right. And I couldn't, I couldn't even tell him till after we left what happened because we, we don't, I didn't want to be ushered in the presence of God, but there were times where God just showed up and said, like it or not, here I am. And I would just lose it and, and cry. That's what heals you. Absolutely. Experiencing God. Yes. In a way that's so personal, in a yes. way that's so custom tailored for you. He yep. knows exactly the trauma that you've walked through because he was there. Yes. And so he knows how you need to experience him. But you have to get into that safe space and open your heart up. And yes, it's going to come with a lot of emotion as yes. well. Yes. It's going to come with a lot of these like, I don't know what this is. Tears. What is that? I don't yeah. know. It's going to come. It's going to feel like you're dying in some ways, but that's when your heart, the portal of your heart is opened up yes. to experience the healing of God. For sure. And you can't just know it. No. Well, like you can't just like cognitively and intellectually go, I know that God can heal me. Right. You no, have to experience you it. You do. And I always said, you know, I'm not a crier. Yeah. Like that was kind of my phrase. I don't know what the deal is. I'm not a crier. I was not a crier mm. until 
I fell apart. And I cry all the time now, right? And I'm like, it's actually good that I yep, cry. Yep. It's okay that I cry. It doesn't mean that I'm weak. It doesn't mean that I'm prey. It doesn't mean that I'm just, it's okay. God created tears for a reason and yeah. it's good and it's fine if right. I cry. So now if my girls see me crying, they're like, you all right, mom? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Having a moment. Just crying. God. Yeah. So yeah. That's great. Well, the last thing that I'd love to hear from you, you know, along these ideas, the, the just along the topic of pain to purpose. And you mm-hmm. already said something about, I'm looking forward to really being able to carry out a purpose in this. Yes. What, do you have any idea what that could be? Yeah. And as you've been unpacking, I feel like that's where you're at in the crossroads right now. It's For like, sure. man, I've done a lot of unpacking my own pain and now I want to like help other people yes. with it. I do. I have, um, there's, uh, thankfully God is already using it, right? Mm-hmm. I have a ton of resources now, books that I've read, you know, body keeps the score. Um, your study I actually gave to somebody who, um, was going through a difficult time, Mm -hmm. but what I feel like now is like, I want to come alongside people to say, listen, your trauma will find you out. If you don't Mm -hmm. deal with it, it will find you out. It comes, it booby traps you. That's what we always say. (laughs) It does because you can't hide from it. You can think you're hiding from it, but you're actually not hiding from it. So when you're triggered, do you know what a trigger is and how to respond to that? And so, um, you know, I'm taking the course right now, trauma recovery coaching. I'm Chris and I are very prayerful about what God's going to do with that. This is an intense course and and they don't just certify you just to certify you. It, right. It's a lot of work to get certified. Wow. And so we're prayerful about that. And then um, we're also kind of open-handed saying, what do you want to do with mm-hmm. this, Lord? We're not sure what God's going to do with it, but we're just saying, um, I want you to purpose my pain. That's cool. I want to I wanna tell somebody, hey, what you're going through, it's normal. Yep. And it's okay. Yep. And I've had that opportunity. One of my dearest friends had an event re- uh, last year. Same thing happened to her, fell apart. Mm. And so I've been able to (laughs) come alongside her and journey with her and say, you know what? It's okay. Let me tell you what's happening. And so... What a um, coincidence, uh, right, Teresa? Yeah, what a coincidence. And she's saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. I keep (laughs) crying. I'm like, I can tell you what's wrong with you. It's your childhood trauma coming up because you were just traumatized again and that triggering trauma caused it all to come up. So yeah, God is good and we're trusting he's going to do something with it and it's not just going to end here and that I'm a... I'm a coach that's certified and that I can't help anybody. We, I have a great platform Mm. to be able to help people. Um, So we're, we're trusting God, not Mm. sure what direction he's going to take it in, but I know he's going to do something with it. He already has. So that's powerful. Yeah. Heal. My healing has been for me, the, the most exciting thing to come out of it and look back and go, Oh, I get it now. Mm. Oh, Oh, that was a trigger. Oh, you know, so wow. yeah, it's been, it's been good. Well, it's certainly the best place to be, to be completely open handed and go, God, just take me there. That's what your healing was. It was right. God, lead me by the hand, take right. me there. And now I'm confident he's going to take you right into the crosshairs of the purpose that he has designed you for Yeah, and how he wants to repurpose this stuff that you've gone through in order to help other people. So it's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Thanks so much for taking the time and, yeah. and unpacking your story. And I, I mean... I know that's heavy to unpack, but I also believe that's part of the continual healing process for you to be able to unpack and tell it. And, uh, you know, I encourage the listener as in a safe space to be able to do that as well. I do think that, you know, I've learned so much about journaling, the importance of journaling. I've learned about just sharing your story and being honest about where you're at. 
um, it's so good to be able to put it together in a way that people can understand. And, yeah. you know, the prayer is always that somebody looks at you and thinks, if you got through it, yep. I can get through it. Yep. Right. And that's, you know, I'm just an, a person who had some things happen in our life. Right. And yet we have this God who is so faithful. And mm-hmm. that's the prayer that, that, God comes out the biggest thing in the story. Yeah. You know, that's always the prayer. So I love how simply Revelation 12 puts it, that they will overcome by the blood of the lamb yes. and the word of their testimony. Yeah, for right? sure. There's yes. just, there's something about telling your story. Mm-hmm. And so Teresa, yeah. thank you so much for yeah, thank letting you us for, listen in on it. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share it. I, that's, it's always good to be able to walk back through it again mm. And um, in hopes that somebody's going to get something from it. So, yeah. I, I am confident Yeah, there are going to be a lot of people that are, have just listened to this and, and uh, they are receiving healing right now. And, um, oh, man, I'm just excited to see what... He, I'm, I'm excited to hear the things that come yeah. out of people hearing this. Thank you. So great. Thank you. Well, it was an incredible conversation with Teresa. So and powerful. We've got a couple of resources that we want to make sure that you are aware of right out of the gate. Um, want to make sure you're aware of the domestic violence hotline, which is great for, for you. If you're in a situation where you're being abused, it, it's great for uh, you on, to, to call on behalf of a family member. If you know someone in your family or friend mm-hmm. network that is being abused, um, call them. You can chat them at one 800 799-SAFE. Again, that's 1-800-799-SAFE. And then I also want to direct you to our community groups online. I think it's wasted.com slash community yeah. groups. We have a community group for women who are in domestic violence situations. And pertaining to this particular conversation, we have a community group for people who have undergone childhood trauma and are trying to untangle uh, the trauma from their past. And, and so make sure that you check those resources out. So powerful. Our resident coach for this series is Jill Monaco. She is an incredible um, woman of God and a woman of wisdom. You can actually find more about her at jillmonaco.com. But she's got a little insight for us related to this conversation. So let's go ahead and listen to it. Wow. I'm sure so many of you are thinking the same thing I am. Teresa was so brave, so brave to share her story of abuse from family to the loss of her brother. And as you listen to it, you probably could see yourself in a piece of her story, whether it was when she talked about how she couldn't stop crying and felt like she couldn't get a hold of herself, or to where she felt like God was going to show her purpose in her pain One of the things she mentioned was the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And for anyone who has had any sort of trauma, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as Teresa's, but if you had any sort of trauma and you find yourself not being able to pull together or easily triggered or emotions all over the place, I want you to know that there is scientific evidence for this and how the brain functions. I'm going to read you a quote from the book that she mentioned, The Body Keeps the Score. It says, It takes tremendous energy to keep functioning while carrying the memory of terror and the shame of utter weakness and vulnerability. 
While we all want to move beyond trauma, the part of our brain that is devoted to ensuring our survival deep below our rational brain is not very good at denial. Long after a traumatic experience is over, it may be reactivated at the slightest hint of danger and mobilize disturbed brain circuits and recreate massive amounts of stress hormones. These post-traumatic stress reactions feel incomprehensible and overwhelming. Feeling out of control, survivors of trauma often begin to fear their damage to the core and beyond redemption. End quote. See, what Teresa has realized is that some of her reactions, or what she called triggers, are actually things that are happening in her brain that are meant to protect her. And so when we try to shut off those things that are protecting us, it feels very scary and very vulnerable and almost dangerous to the point that you cannot do the very thing that you want to do. You know, one of the things she mentioned was crying. And I've often said to people, when you are feeling super vulnerable in pain and someone hugs you, it's like they squeeze all the tears out. And you're already in pain, so you don't want more pain, but your brain can't tell the difference between the tears. It knows it's hurting and comfort, even though it feels good to be comforted, can also be very scary. See, the brain can be confused about how to respond. We have three responses to something that can be traumatizing. We can fight, we can flee, or we can freeze. In fight-or-flight mode, the amygdala reacts as if you're running from a bear. And when you're under constant stress, like Teresa was, day in and day out, not knowing your surroundings or what to expect, you're always on high alert. And so some people get angry and you see the manifestation of that anger, which is still rooted in fear, or other people run away, like runaways as teenagers, or they run to drugs or something else to soothe their pain, which is rooted in fear, or the other one is to freeze and you do nothing and you go into denial. Again, all three are responses to self-protection. And if this is you, if you have been in one of those modes and, and you're maybe feeling out of control with your emotions or you can't respond the way you want to when you're triggered, I want to give you some tips on what you can do to help you through this process. The first thing is self-compassion. It's so important to be kind to yourself. You're already struggling, and so you need more compassion and maybe more time to heal than you would want. Self-compassion looks like a few things. One, it's speaking to yourself in a kind way, in a way that you would speak to someone else that was hurting so often, victims of abuse turn on themselves. Actually, depression is anger turned inward. And so the way that we are mean to ourselves is saying, you're so dumb. Why didn't you do something? Those kinds of negative self-talks are rooted in this lack of understanding how to show yourself compassion, most often because someone else didn't that was important to you didn't show you compassion. But another thing that we often do is we put up walls as a way to cope. When I work with clients, I realize everyone has a wall. Walls are there because we built them to keep ourselves safe, but they also keep out things. They keep out people who love us, and they keep out a God who loves us. 
So one of the first things I do is I ask clients to consider what is the name of your wall? By naming it and picturing it and identifying it, you can find some of the purpose in it. And then we can start to ask God questions about the wall. Like, God, what's on the other side of the wall that I can't see because of the wall? Where are you in relation to this wall? God, is it safe for me to take down this wall with your help? See, when you get triggered and you either respond with emotions or even putting up a wall, it really is something that is happening in your brain. See, brain scans show that when someone is having a flashback or is triggered by trauma, even by telling the story again, the broke up part of the brain goes offline and we can't put our feelings or thoughts into words. Images of past trauma activate the right side of the brain and deactivate the left. Survivors also tell what experts call a cover story that is consumable for the listener, but it hardly touches on the actual pain they experience. And what's really interesting to me is that the right side of the brain can't tell the difference between telling a story of the past and it happening in the present. So our behaviors or emotions may result in being angry, frozen, scared, ashamed, putting up a wall, whatever the case may be. So what's helpful is to ask God those questions about the wall so that your brain can have a different way of receiving information. And when the Holy Spirit gives you the vision to see your pain and his purpose from his perspective, it's so much easier to let down our guard and let God begin to heal us. As a coach, I love to help people think of the future, to focus on what God is doing. Yes, we need sometimes to get counseling and, and talk about the past and really understand why we're being triggered in the present. But if we can focus with God on what He's doing in us, we can see what He's going to do through us. I bless you all to have an incredible breakthrough. I hope this was helpful. Thank you, Jill. So insightful. Again, you can so find good. her at jillmonaco.com. Uh, I want to underscore this, that we talked a little bit about counseling and getting help on the front end of this episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just want to make sure that we mention, even if your, your abuser um, is not willing to get help, so I'm talking specifically about a marriage context, you know, husband, wife, if you feel like there's some help that needs to be had and that it's salvageable, um, our suggestion would be that you go get help. If you are, That's even right. if you are in an abusive situation, it's so important because one, you're going to have a good, healthy sounding board. It's very difficult to have a healthy mentality, emotionally, mentally, to be able to see um, the light in the darkness, to be able to see the next step ahead of you and what yeah. you should do when you are inundated in the situation that you're in. And so it's important to get, get out of that and get help yourself so that you can have this perspective that kind of guides you along the journey. So we would strongly suggest counseling uh, for you if you're in that situation. And even if you're in a situation like Teresa's where it, a, a parent was the abuser, that's yeah. a great reason to seek counseling Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can listen to his music anywhere. You can download or stream music. We'd also invite you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We're getting close to that thousand mark, Aubrey. We'd love to <gasps> see us tip over a thousand reviews. That would be fantastic. A thousand in 2020. 
Ooh, there we go. A thousand in 2020. Let's see if we can hit it, it by the end of 2020. So that means you better hit the gas pedal, guys. If you can rate us and review us, that'd be like a little Christmas gift to us. But here's what it does. It's actually a Christmas gift to other people because it allows this podcast to have more exposure, climbing the charts yep. so that more people can be privy to and hear the conversations we're having, the stories that are being told and get the healing that they need. I also want to mm -hmm. remind you of the survey uh, that we're uh, wanting your input on. And so text... NIW survey to 66866. We're giving away those 10 $10 Amazon gift cards. So you good. Use it to buy gifts for other people or buy something yourself. And yeah, so buy 10 yourself lucky, a little treat. 10 lucky treat winners yourself. of the the pool of people who do the do the survey will will be um they'll be put in a, a basket and we'll draw it out at random. And so make sure you go take that survey. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries at Davy Blackburn and at Obsamp, and be sure to join us next week as we continue our Surviving Abuse series. Yeah, next week's conversation is with Carissa Gahan, and um, it's a great conversation to close out our Surviving Abuse series. So why don't you listen to this little clip from my conversation with Carissa? up being sexually abused for two years while living in Missouri. Um, and so through that process, I decided that my life was going to look like um, my control. I was going to control my life and I was going to um, decide what I wanted to do. And so I just went all out wild and I started doing drugs and drinking. And um, I wanted nothing to do with God except for I call it my God box. And I say that I put God in a box because I knew that someday I was going to want him in my life because that was just a part of who I was, but he was not serving me the way that I wanted him to. He took my dad. Mm. Um, he brought me into this abusive relationship. Um, my mom started drinking after my dad passed away. And so she struggled with alcoholism and my life as I knew it as this small little, you know, little girl, that was a small town girl just completely exploded. And, um, I decided instead of looking at these events and these situations that were happening and these bad choices that people were making that were negatively infecting, affecting my life, I just looked at God and said, you're a bad God. 